ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking 1994's Wolf on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. Your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from upstate New York. My God, it's beautiful up here. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest details, uh, which are not nearly as gory as you might think, of uh, Mike Nichols' 1994 werewolf classic, Wolf, in the hopes that a... Uh, Recently dismissed publishing impresario's death is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at his expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I find a couple spare fingers in my pocket, she'll help me dispose of them. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good. I, I'm really pleased because this might be the most classiest movie we've ever talked about on Kill by Kill. Oh, for sure. A-list a- a- stars... Mike fucking Nichols directing? <laughs> yes. I mean, it come on. Yeah, it, it's, no, that... it's, and because of that, it's it's a horror movie that wants very much to not be a horror movie. <laughs> it's the horror of being a middle-aged, you know, uh, publishing uh, exec who might be undercut by a younger man in the office. Who is definitely boning his wife. Definitely. And probably doing a great job of it from what we can tell. I, I don't know. It's Shane Spader. <laughs> I don't get the impression that Shane Spader's a generous lover. <laughs> All right, let's not let's let's not impugn his sterling reputation of being a sensitive and and, and thinking person's lover, um, <laughs> which I'm sure someone has of him. But uh, I don't want to alarm you, Gina. Um, turns out we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. He's a writer, he's a filmmaker, and in my opinion, he's one of the premier video essays on all of YouTube, and that's literally saying something. The one, the only, Patrick H. Willems. How are you doing today, Patrick? Hello, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It is an absolute, genuine pleasure to have you with us. I think you are, uh, without a doubt, one of the smartest voices on YouTube, especially when it comes to movies uh, in and above that I think you're fantastic at what you do, and it's a, it's a genuine pleasure to have you on board. Wow, thank you so much. Um, you were ranting, raving, uh, clawing at the digital framework of Twitter a few weeks back uh, about this new movie that you had not seen before, 1994's Wolf. And I immediately said, well, if you ever want to talk about Jack Nicholson eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on camera, would you consider doing it with us? And to my surprise, you agreed. Why would you do something so silly? Uh, I, I, I just couldn't say no. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I should say the, the, fun, the great timing of this is that I was watching the movie uh, as research for a video, which I literally released last night. So, <laughs> uh, so it, the, the, the video partly deals with Wolf, and now I get to talk more about it. But I, I wanted to come on the show because uh, as soon as you presented this— um, what what I'd been thinking about after I watched this movie was why doesn't everyone talk about this movie all the time? I'd never seen it before, and it is so wild and yeah. so interesting that I 
could not shut up about it. Uh, and so any excuse to talk about Wolf, I'm there. As Gina had no- noted, this is a Mike Nichols movie. And I don't know that I would, if you would uh, put a gun to my head and asked, what is the supernatural movie that Mike Nichols had made? Even though I had seen this in the movie theater and quite enjoyed it. My first guess of what that movie would have been was Day of the Dolphin, which has the world's best tagline on its movie poster. He unwittingly trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. Unwittingly. When are we kind of when are we going to cover that movie? I don't know, but I don't know if it will ever rise to the occasion of the movie poster. Is that Day of the Dolphin? Is Day of the Dolphin Mike Nichols's only like foray into any kind of genre film before this? Because I feel um, like he, he pretty much yeah, exclusively did comedies and dramas. Like when we think Mike Nichols, we think obviously The Graduate, or mm-hmm. like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Catch Twenty Two, Heartburn, The Birdcage, like any of those. Like this is such an outlier in his filmography. Yes, it's way out there. I mean, he's got relationship dramas and he's got comedies that, you know, weave in drama in and out of them, but they're centered. They're very earthbound. And then after regarding Henry, but before the birdcage, he's like, you know what? I got to get this Jack Nicholson werewolf movie out of my head. I I just (laughs) wish I, I wish I knew that the you know the story apparently elaine may did some of the work on this yeah well i mean she and mike nichols obviously have like a very long history and then she wrote the birdcage or or, or did she write uh primary colors well Um, i know she was involved in primary colors because uh that was one of the films that i was forced to sit through when I worked at Universal Studios uh, as a oh, tour she, guide she actually, in 1998. She wrote um, The Birdcage and uh, she wrote Primary Colors. Yeah. So they kind of, and I, I was doing some, because I was making this video, I was doing research into Wolf. And um, apparently Wolf was the first time they'd collaborated in like 35 years. Because uh, obviously they'd been like a comedy duo like mm-hmm. decades earlier. And um, and I, I wonder if this is like was like the catalyst for those like late 90s collaborations. It was a modest hit. I, I don't it doesn't really have any, you know, it's not one of those movies people fondly look back on from the 90s. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, I, I saw that once. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, but it's just so it doesn't look like anything either of them would have done there's like no and again this isn't to to denigrate the movie i i enjoy it but there's just no it's kind of a generically written and directed movie but just written by people who don't who don't you know know a lot about horror movies no and i think that's almost to its benefit because it it doesn't it doesn't um it doesn't decide to fall into some of the tropes that you would expect from it. It's weirdly well, enough. It, it also kind of has an, a happy ending, which is, which is unexpected. Yeah. Well, they're both them wolves together now, and, and now they can trounce through the forest, breaking deer's necks whenever they damn well please. Well, to be fair, I mean, it, you know, other than the occasionally having to maul people, they don't, they don't make, you know, looking like a werewolf, they don't make a werewolf look like a bad gig. No. No, I mean, uh, honestly, Will Randall's life kind of improves in a lot of ways. He grows his hair back. (laughs) 
<laughs> he does. Like, Which is, like, I never get t- I never get tired of that of that gimmick. They just did it in in what we do in the shadows. I never get tired of the you know he's growing more powerful. Look, he has a beautiful head of hair now. It's great. It's great. But actually, um, I will say one thing. I'm 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 going through Mike Nichols' filmography, and uh, I had completely forgotten that he directed Working Girl. Uh, oh, yeah. Six years earlier, and and that kind and things like that, it was one of the big movies from the eighties about like New York City co- uh, corporate culture, and this is entirely set in a similar world. Uh, it just kind of tosses in this supernatural element. So he's kind of dealt with some similar stuff before. Yes. Well, weirdly enough, regarding Henry, kind of has that same thing, where. Harrison Ford in that movie is this go-getter in the jungles of New York City up until the point he gets a bullet in the head. And then that magically transforms him into a wonderful guy uh, who's just a little bit simple to hang around with. Uh, So, weirdly enough, this movie parallels that, where instead of uh, uh, becoming in touch with your emotions because you got shot in the head... You become in touch with your animalistic side and the part of you that might be the alpha by getting bitten in the middle of Vermont by a wolf. (laughs) Who among us? (laughs) It happens to the best of us. (laughs) You can't plan on it. You just have to embrace it when it happens. You know, you were talking a little bit about Elaine May doing some of the writing, obviously doing some punch up here, because I don't know that I've ever seen like Wesley Strick's sterling wit necessarily. I think he's a pretty serviceable screenwriter and story craft maker. I think but, Jim Harrison was like the the main writer on this. Yeah. And then I, I wonder what Strick's function is, because obviously he did enough to get a screenplay credit alongside of him. So I wonder if that's more structure or plot or what he added to the mix. But you can definitely tell that someone has punched up the jokes. Because... Yes. There are moments here that are too fucking witty for its own good to a degree. Like there's the, first of all, it's wonderful to see Prunella scales and anything. I just love saying Prunella (laughs) over the time. But she has that little scene where she goes, what's left on my contract uh, for writing books? And he's like, oh, it can be anything. And she goes, well, how about an 80 page reminiscent of all the restaurants I've loved? And he goes, oh, well, there's no specifications on your contract. And she goes, good. I'll start eating out right now. That's a funny joke. Yes. Good writing where someone knows how to find the structure of something and make it pop. And that feels very Elaine May to me. It's funny. So I uh, had never actually seen any of the movies Elaine May directed. Mm. Uh, And today, since I wrapped up a video and have some free time again i i decided literally this morning like you know what i think that'll be the next filmmaker that i catch up on and so this afternoon i i I watched uh a new leaf yeah i which is really good and is again it is a a new york city set comedy and so looking at that and then looking at wolf again i and I, i've seen other movies that she wrote but just between these two i can immediately say or see okay i see what she contributed like this this is her wheelhouse 
yeah, there's like the, there's there's definitely like the parallel of the you know the the older character the, the the kind of aging character being you know threatened in his position by the sly younger character, which is an which is an evergreen an evergreen trope in movies like this, particularly movies placed in like the the New York corporate culture. Sure. Like I, I don't know why people anybody ever trusts their their uh, you know, their their proteges because they're always going to stab you in the back. Yeah, that's right. That's why I only have one protege. He just turned ten, and he's very into My Hero Academia. So <laughs> I think it's going to turn out well. Yeah, the, the best advice you could take from these movies is never help anyone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it really makes sense. Um, I was. So happy, and I'd just forgotten it up until I rewatched the movie that David Hyde Pierce is in this. Oh, there's a whole bunch that David Hyde Pierce is in it. David Schwimmer pops up in it for like As 12 seconds. Uh, Allison, oh, Allison Janney is a, is a party guest. Uh, okay, wait, so, so Patrick, I have to ask you sure. um, when you introduced the show, you said you're in upstate New York. Yeah, I guess it, this is just outside of the city. It's not really. No, no, no. no. But wait. Oh, oh. Sorry. I think you meant you specifically. Were. No, no, he does. That's he, oh. that's how we intro everything wherever the movie takes place. We okay. Always, yeah. I, I, Friday the Thirteenth. I was in Crystal Lake, and okay. You know. I'm I, I I'm sorry because I am currently in a literally upstate New York, and uh, and I was going to mention that yeah, David Hyde Pierce. He's the most famous person from my hometown <laughs> in upstate New York. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he he just radiates in this. Well, there's a, a weird kind of youthful energy to the background players here where he's very smartly, obviously, like dipping into the New York theater scene because that's where he must have snagged Allison Janney. And, yeah. Uh, Hyde Pierce says that one scene with Jack Nicholson where Nicholson sort of reveals his, his newly thought up grand plan to regain his uh, senior editor position at the publishing house. And he basically goes, you are my God. (laughs) Thank you. David Hyde Pierce showed up to play. Everyone here shows up to play, but I don't think they go into banana town so much outside of Spader. Spader at the end of the movie practically has a cartoon mustache to twirl and a dog that laughs like muttley and like he needs a top hat that's literally all he needs (laughs) but i mean come on this is god love man this is him in every performance as soon as i mean even if i hadn't seen this movie before even if i hadn't you know you you reviewed the plot on wikipedia soon as spader shows up he's gonna be like he's gonna fuck him out of his job it's it's he's more he's less convincing as a good guy in a movie than than like like the whole time I'm watching Stargate I'm like mm, he's just gonna like you know he's just gonna betray the entire team isn't he? Um, well, this but, is what I love about Spader in this movie because for so much of the movie he's just this piece of shit who acts like his friend and mm-hmm. then behind him is like doing everything he can to, to just, like, take over his life and, like, take away... Every, and and, and just, just, like, he, you know, he has, like, no morals. He's doing anything to get ahead. And, uh... But he always... Like, in every single scene with Nicholson, he's always, like, apologizing and, like, being really deferential to him uh, and still acting like they're friends. And so the the huge shift in the third act 
to me was so delightful because he's it's the, the opposite of what he's been doing the whole time. You basically get two Spader performances in one movie. The scene in the uh, the police station, which uh, we get a the third act Richard Jenkins reveal that he's in this movie. Uh, God love appearing... him. I love him. I love him. I will watch Who... him in anything. He's fantastic, and apparently he was born 45 years old. I can't tell. He's like Ed Harris. Yeah, he just came out of the womb, and but he already had a job that's kind of bringing him down. There are several. He's, several got, he's, he's born wearing a short sleeve dress shirt. <laughs> just born going, when is lunch again? Um, he, they're, they're waiting to be interviewed by Richard Jenkins and uh, Spader. He kind of corners Michelle Pfeiffer at one point. He's fantastic in this movie. Uh, and But then right before he's let in, he decides to nuzzle her womb goodbye. <laughs> I, I think he's like smelling her. Yes. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's and how it's I read really, it. And it's really creepy. <laughs> but I mean, we, we get this, you know, it's sort of, you know, telegraphed that how this is how he's going to be because this expert on wolves that 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 jack nicholson goes to talk with someone talks Mm -hmm. about that oh well if you get bitten by the wolf it'll you know it'll only be bad if you're a bad person and i'm like "Mm, that's that's a new twist on on werewolf lore but well on the other hand they nobody ever uses the word werewolf no it's funny it's it's like it's like the the very concept of it doesn't exist in this in this universe it says you will turn into a wolf, not you're a you know half man, half wolf. But of course, it's going to be. I mean, I, I assume that that's why he turned into by James Spader's character. You know, turned into the more animalistic wolf faster than Jack Nicholson did because yeah, it's it, just it's digging into the worst parts of his of his personality, which is all of him. <laughs> which is every 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 cell in his body is just awful and terrible. I mean, it's so obvious to everyone who's in a scene with him how bad he is, and yet he's constantly kept around. Like, Christopher Plummer invites him into his home after he's been fired by Jack Nicholson. They're just sitting on the couch with one another watching the news. Just chilling. Just chilling. (laughs) And he's like, well, you know, would the job be open if he was, like, you know, convicted of murder? I'm just asking. I I hope he isn't. I really, really hope he isn't. Oh, it'd be a tragedy. But, you know, like, if it happened, could I sneak in there a little bit? And Christopher Plummer is, like, you know, this, like, how bad are you at this? You're not subtle at all. I mean, that's Spader's like great ability in this movie just sucking up to people like what i love about him is when nicholson confronts him even after he's like he's learned that he went behind his back to take his job and is having an affair with his wife spader still like you'd think at that point spader would just kind of like very much come clean and just be like all right like yes i'm trying like i'm i I don't like you i i am being a dick but he still just keeps apologizing and just like you know like acting like like look i i I fucked up. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry. What can I do to make this right? Like, like he, he still keeps trying to be a nice guy. I, even though like we know that he isn't. And that's what I love about it. He, he like, he, he keeps up the act constantly. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I have the movie in front of me right now and I'm just looking at him in the police station scene with his contacts in. <laughs> nobody, that nobody comments on. He's got these like glowing golden eyes and everybody's like, yeah, all right. 
It's insane. That, that's it. not that's nothing to be concerned about. There, everything is to be concerned about. He's got these like wonder. He's growing. He's growing these wonderful mutton chops. I love it. <laughs> I love the look. I love every bit of it. He sort of becomes the combination of uh, Wolverine and Willie Loman at one point. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I have a question for you, for both of you. Sure. Uh, so you both said you saw this movie in theaters, right? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. That old. Uh, so I, 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 I'm not, I promise I'm, I'm not trying to like talk about anyone's ages here. I, I, I I'm just, <laughs> no, we're, old. we're, we're old. It's fine. We, we, please. Be, uh, young people have to keep a Wikipedia open just to listen to this show. It's, <laughs> it's for the olds. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, because this is a movie, so I said that I've never seen this until a few weeks ago, but it's a movie that I remember seeing the poster for it when I was a kid. And I knew it's like, this is a movie for adults. Like, I'm not going to be allowed to see it, but I was just like, I I liked monster stuff. And I knew who Jack Nicholson was because he was the Joker in Batman. And so I remember like asking my parents about it, just like, like, so have you seen it? Do you, and I, I, I always wanted to know like how much, like what does he look like as a wolf? Like how, how far does the, the wolf transformation go? But I had never seen the movie. And so I, I only knew it from like the poster and TV spots. So what was your take on it at the time? And what did people think of this movie? Well, I'll speak for myself. Uh, I, I saw it with a group of friends at a Cineplex Odeon. And I think the reflection upon leaving the theater was, well, that was fun. I, you know, I, I don't know that it, it's, I don't know what I thought it would be, but what it comes off as is urbane. You know, it's the sort of on the same track of the, as the Kurt Siodmak original universal Wolfman in that he's this landed gentry who's kind of come back into town and his dad's like, listen, you're not, this isn't the life for you. Go back to America. You know, you got problems and he just happens to get bitten by a wolf and things fly off the rails. And here you have someone who's basically the dad in the original, uh, universal werewolf and his middle aged problems sort of get solved by becoming a werewolf. And I, Amongst my friends and everything, it was like, well, that was fun and everyone looks pretty and, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is a knockout on screen and it's it's always fun to watch Jack Nicholson give devil brow. But <laughs> I don't know that it changed our lives necessarily, but it also wasn't, oh, well, that was terrible. They don't know what they're doing. It just, it was like a, 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 a nice thing that happened, but I don't know that it uh, pushed the cultural barriers of 1994 for me. What about you, Gina? Well, um, at the risk of repeating myself, uh, I've, I've mentioned a few times that this came out in a, a period in which I was going to the movies probably about two to three times a week. So I, I wasn't as discerning as I would have normally been. Now, that's not to say that that I wouldn't have gone to see this if, if I had to be more judicial about my time and my money. And of course, this is the wonderful time when you could see a, you know an evening movie for $5, maybe. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't have said it would have been on my top 10 of 94, but it wasn't bad. I, I enjoyed it. But the problem is, is that my favorite horror movie is An American World in London. So I have very high standards for werewolf <laughs> movies and I, I like my werewolves to be tragic mm-hmm. i like my werewolf movies to have the the actual you know 
body morphing, which this does. Mm. You, you you compare them to Wolverine, they 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 look. I mean, yeah. By the end, Spader's got the ears, and 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 uh, you know he's kind of a little more further into transition than Jack Nicholson, which I thought was was it was an interesting touch. Yeah. But you know, if I was comparing it to that, I would to American World, I would have found it lacking. But it's fine. I, I would say it's it's you know a platonic ideal of an of an it's fine movie. <laughs> okay, I, I was really curious just because you know this is a movie that, like I didn't know what people would expect from this because as we've talked about already, this is it's like kind of a horror movie, but it doesn't really want to be a horror movie, and so I can imagine people going to see it being really disappointed that it was kind of more about the culture at this publishing company than actual like werewolf mythology. But for me, going into this, seeing it now, like this is this is a movie that not only would not be made now, would not even be made, like, five years after it was made. Yeah. Uh, and this is, like, the idea of Sony Pictures spending at $70 million on... This is, I believe, I did the research for this video, I believe this might have been the second most expensive movie of 94. Oh, wow. Really? This cost, this cost more than twice as much as Speed. <laughs> no shit. I mean, I, yeah. mean I, guess it went, I guess it went mostly into the makeup effects? I, uh, well, that well also it like went over budget they like reshot i think like all the ending and and all of that but still it's like th- i believe the only movie in 94 that cost more than this was true lies which was the most expensive movie of all time when it was made and yeah. so the idea that this existed that sony spent more money than on any other movie that year on a werewolf movie with jack nicholson that's really like kind of a satire about New York corporate culture like that's their 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 most expensive movie of the year like that would not happen again and so so for me watching this now this is like a beautiful window into a time when a thing like this could exist because I'm not I'm seeing it so out of the context that it arrived in Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why I enjoyed it so much because I'm like, I can't believe this is a real thing. A studio spent money on this. They let Mike Nichols and company do this. Like Jack Nicholson decided this will be my next project. Yeah. It's like everything, like uh, as much as I, like I do genuinely like the movie, I think it's good. But what I enjoy pretty much as much as the movie is just the mere fact that it exists. Oh yeah, def- definitely. Yeah. You know, and we mentioned that a lot in, in the movies we talk about is, is, you know, we're just glad to have had the experience of watching it because it's just, you know, so of its own thing. Um, but yeah, I did not know that, that that was the, uh, the second highest budget. I mean, the, the makeup effects are, I mean, I, I have to assume quite a bit of that went to the it, paying it's the cast. Rick He's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's not it, like yeah. they're building a, a, an animatronic, uh, werewolf that's like standing on someone's shoulders and there's a lot of gizmos going on. I honestly think a lot more of this, of that money was location shooting and building the set where Michelle Pfeiffer lives and the barn, because that definitely looks like you made that inside of a soundstage and it's huge. It's gigantic. It's big enough to have horses and they're launching people in werewolf makeup into the air on top of people. I just, I feel like it was, it was that ending trying to cap that off. Cause I can't imagine and that and just the, the top line cost of paying Jack Nicholson. Like, right. You know, after Batman, he essentially 
could do whatever he damn well pleased. Yeah, because it wasn't his... Didn't he, at the time, make more money for Batman than any actor had ever made for a movie? Yes, I think it it took until Robert Downey Jr. redoing his Marvel contract. Yes. And earning back end on every Marvel movie for someone to actually make more. Right. Okay, and since you brought this up, can we just talk about Jack Nicholson? Sure, let's. Uh, Because... Was as I was watching this movie and enjoying every single thing he was doing, every mm-hmm. moment he's on screen, and I've loved Jack Nicholson since I was like I don't know four or five years old. Uh, whenever I first saw Batman, um, yeah. but watching this, I was like, is this guy like the greatest actor of all time? Have I like is there anyone that I enjoy watching more than this person? Because he. He always, I mean, in, he's great in everything. He always delivers. And and this movie, again, it's just, it's so goddamn strange. And and it, it's also funny, and he's playing a, the kind of character he doesn't usually play. Like, when yes. you think when you think Jack Nicholson as a werewolf, you go, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But, uh, but then when you, like, actually look at the character more, you know, he's playing a, just, like, a middle-aged guy who's, like, very ordinary, in a right. way that he doesn't usually play. Like, you know, he's the guy, like, you get him to play the Joker. You get him to play the devil in The Witches of Eastwick. He's that kind of guy. He doesn't usually play a regular guy who, uh, who like, works in an office. No. Yeah, he, he definitely he definitely made a choice to underplay this role. And, 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 and I think that that was good because he's not the villain. And, yes. and so there's no, there's no reason for him to be super over the top. And unlike a lot of his characters... He is afraid of the thing he's becoming while yeah. he embraces certain elements of it. Once he discovers that it's not just that he can smell tequila on the, on the guy in the office that he doesn't like breath, but also that he might be eating people in Central Park. He's genuinely affected by that. He doesn't want to become this. You think you're going to get this transformation of Jack milk toast Jack Nicholson into Jack Nicholson with werewolf teeth in. And what you actually get is a journey of a character that isn't quite Jack Nicholson with just glimmers of that coming through here and there. It's a very controlled performance. Yeah, because you would think just based on the premise that, okay, he becomes like, he has like, a massive transformation. We've seen plenty of movies before where someone, something happens to someone often like supernatural and then suddenly, you know, they're dressing differently. Like, okay, you could see this being like Peter Parker and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Like, you could easily see it becoming that. When everyone's oh, yeah, like, yeah. What, what happened to you? Like, why are you acting like this and dressing like this? And it's it's much more subtle than that. Like, it's not... It's like he becomes a bit more confident, but it's not a wild change. What I, what I took from it as it was somebody snapping out of a depression. Yeah, like, that's like really he, good. He's, he's, you know, he's been depressed for a while. Maybe he, he kind of senses something's going on, you know, more the wife than he realizes. Um, and then, you know, he just feels better and he's getting more work done. He's getting more sleep and he looks a little better. And, you know, but yeah, you're right. There's no scene where he's like strutting down the street and like, you know, you know, hitting on ladies or anything like that. You know, I mean, he, he, you know, he's kind of 
you know, makes direct beeline for Michelle Pfeiffer, and that's about that's about it. That's the only person he's interested in. Yeah. And even and even with her, you know, he's very respectful of her. She's to the point where she doesn't know how to she doesn't know what to make of it. And one thing, the one issue I do have with the movie, and again, I, I do like it. I do, I do think it's a very you know, well made movie. I think it could have done with maybe thirty five percent less slow motion, but that's <laughs> sure. But that's fine. Um, that's yeah. an that's an artistic choice that they made, and you know, I'll let them have it. I I wish that they knew what to do with Michelle Pfeiffer's character. Yes, because she's yeah. she's obviously a bad rich girl. Who has gotten into some sort of unspecified trouble in the past? She doesn't get along with the dad. She knows how to break out of handcuffs, which is implausible. <laughs> you know, I mean, and she's like, you know, he keeps telling her while well, I'm turning into this thing. She's like, oh, are you? That's kind of hot. And then, and then when it turns out, no, really, I'm turning into this thing. She's like, no, no, not like that. <laughs> it's like, and, and and I, I just wish they kind of. We're a little more consistent with how her character was written. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm totally with you. I mean, the the weird thing about this movie is that Michelle Pfeiffer is in it, playing that role at this point in her career. Yeah, because so this is two years post Batman Returns, so she's at this point like a huge major movie star. And I mean, she has, she's like right there on the poster. She's like bigger on the poster than Nicholson is. But at the same time, her, her role is so much smaller. I don't have like an immediate solution for this because he is obviously like the, the focus of the entire movie, but she doesn't have a ton to do for a character who clearly has like an interesting past life. I, she's kind of a, like the scenes between them are interesting, but I don't think they take full advantage of what that character could be and especially what Pfeiffer could do with the part. Really kind of until like the final scene when she shows up in like the black turtleneck and she looks amazing. And where she transforms back into Catwoman a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And you see her right there and something like immediately I'm like, I'm like I know this is the end of the movie but I just want to like see more of her like this. Because it's like she like lives up to all her potential, and then the movie ends. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that if she that if she had kind of encouraged him to get more in touch with his animal side, and I, I don't mean that in like a you know gross way or anything. I mean literally, you know, sort of encouraging him to let that part of him out. Yeah. Then the, that would have been a little more consistent with how her character was written. But mm -hmm. it's like, well, she, you know, first she's trying to protect him from the cops, and then she's like, oh wait, no, he might have actually done it. Well, now I'm going to hide him. Well, now I need to run away. Well, now I need to call the police again. It, it's just, uh, listen, it seemed like they kind of you know came to an impasse as to what to do with her. Okay, I mean. Uh, I'm going to throw out a potentially uh, not good idea, but it just popped into my head. Uh, because two years after this movie, uh, James Spader makes David Cronenberg's Crash, mm -hmm. uh, which is a movie about people with uh, w w weird sexual interests. Yeah. Uh, I'll just put it that way. They could, I don't think this is a Mike Nichols thing, but another director, probably Cronenberg, could have done a version of this movie where uh, she gets, she's like way too interested in his like wolf aspects and they really push the weird sort of like, uh, you know, animalistic sexuality part further. 
just a, a thought about, I, I, I'm not saying I want this movie to have like bestiality in or anything like that. No, no, but, I but think you, you're pretty much saying that. I think they Patrick. wanted to do, I think they, I think they flirted that I, with that idea, but then yeah. they weren't, it, it, they didn't want to go that far. It's kind of there, but for like, I mean, like they do end up having a, a sexual relationship. Uh, like they, they do get together, but it, it is also for a, a movie that is like for adults all of that like happens off screen. Yes, you know they're it, they're, not, they're not interested in in making that a reality that you need to see. It's just right. Like, if they had a fireplace to to tilt towards and do a <laughs> a, a resolve a fade <laughs> dissolve into, they would have done it. Well, exactly. Well, all that like tasteful distancing it it it, it, it makes it more jarring when like Chase Spader shows up and tells her he's gonna fuck her to death. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm like what. what? <laughs> <laughs> did, I, did I read my did I read my caption right? You take my glasses <laughs> off, put it back on. You know? Exactly, and and um, just to to sort of clarify, kind of <laughs> what I, um, I I was like attempting to articulate, just considering like her character's past and the yeah. kind of men she seems to, and then she says that she's been attracted to, I. I I feel like they're like one potential route for this movie to have taken if it had wanted to is to play up like him becoming uh, his uh, aggression uh, becoming uh, more heightened and and just like more emphasized and her being interested in that and then him potentially like uh, you know questioning how he feels about this side of himself um, but again it it doesn't really delve as deeply into her character as. They should, and as I, I would like to see. I just, I think they, she probably signed on to it because, hey, Jack Nicholson is going to do a movie and he, they want you in it. She's like, well, why wouldn't I want to be in a Jack Nicholson movie? Oh, by the way, the person directing it is Mike Nichols. Well, why the hell wouldn't I want to get involved in that game? Sure, let's do this. And then you show up and you're like, we're going to invest this character with this sort of semi-tragic backstory she's obviously damaged but she's also a good person and she can see this person is in turmoil and she assumes it's more like a well i'll i'll help you limp back to your car and i'll never see you again but there's just something intriguing about him and it builds and builds and builds but the but because of the mechanics of the plot you just kind of have to forget about her to constantly go back to will's need to rise you know regain the, his throne at the publishing company right and she gets lost in the shuffle until she is in danger and has to be saved at the end yes and it right. would have been nice in that circumstance i also feel this is where the mike nichols of it has problems because We've seen various directors over the years of, of of talking about various horror movies who have trouble communicating a fight. It's hard to do. It's It seems simple, but oh my God, it is really difficult to make action on screen read well. And as much as I love leaping, and I do, I'm a <laughs> leaping fan. <laughs> this movie is kind of like, did you like that leap? How about 10 more of them? And you're like, are we going to, we're going to have some slashing. Are, are, is someone going to bite somebody? Let's, what's the step up here? And it's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This time he's going to leap with something in his hands. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> give me something to leap in. And it, it falls a little short there because I'm not sure he knows how to make that crackle. It's not, you know, not everyone's perfect. And there's a lot of right in this movie, but that's the part for me that in addition to the Michelle Pfeiffer is a little bit wrong just because no one figured out how to make the action element of this. If you're not going to go for gore, you might as well give me action. And it can't quite find the punch to land there. I think part of that is also just the time it was made. Yeah. Because uh, when you look at like, the thing is at the end of this movie, the final battle, it's as much as it's like a, a double werewolf battle. It's also kind of like uh, an earlier version of a superhero battle. It's two superpowered people, mm-hmm. like like with like enhanced strength and agility fighting. Yeah, and that was a thing that I mean, it's not that dissimilar from like the fight at the end of Superman two. Sure. When you, you know you've got people on on wires and they'll hit each other and they'll like fly really far and and stuff like that. Like it took a a while for like this. I do not want this movie to have. A bunch of CGI on it, but sure. I I feel like it kind of took an, a, a, at least until like the Matrix for uh for Hollywood to figure out like okay how do we act how do we like effectively like communicate like superpowers or like enhanced physical abilities properly on screen. It, there's just there wasn't the quite the film language to make this happen at the time, and. And so also, I don't know that. I also don't know that Mike Nichols was ever really an action director. No, no. But no. he's a skilled visual director. It's like sure, he's not, sure. He's yeah, not flashy. But I. Uh, but he. It's an engagingly shot scene. It's just you know, yeah. It's mostly just them jumping at each other. Spader, you know, gets shot, uh, and that's how he dies. But I do love the move that he picks up the gardening shears and holds them over his head and then leaps because he's going for a pretty killer finishing move. Yes. He's going for a flying the burning right at Jack <laughs> Yes. And I, w- one thing that I, I do uh, really like in that scene is um, just the, the cross-cutting. But when, Nicol- uh, when Nicholson uh, or Will Randall uh, is still... Uh, like behind the bars in uh in in like the horse stable and he's trying to get out and just like the cutting from like him like fighting at the bars to the horses freaking out back to Spader and Pfeiffer like that there there's some af- effective cutting there and I think they because it's it's kind of like uh it's the third time that the horses freaking out has appeared so it's kind of a nice like they like planted that early on, mm-hmm. and now to build up the suspense and the frenzy of the scene, I think that's some really effective filmmaking. I think part of the the difficulty here is you have two people, like as you said, who have the same basic superpowers. So how do you demonstrate how one is better at it than the other one when we haven't seen them demonstrate anything other than the leaping at other places in the movie? <laughs> I mean, we we mentioned a little bit earlier, but David Schwimmer arrives in his f- most fetal form as a New York City cop when uh, when Jack Nicholson decides to go to the the uh, Central Park Zoo and just look at some animals, as you do. Weirdly enough, this is now my second movie in as many weeks about wolves hanging out at the Central Park Zoo. 
<laughs> Wait, what was the other one? Wolfen with uh, with Albert Finney. Ah, uh, I've never seen that one. It's interesting. It's, it's another. Interesting. It's another one that is trying to be a classy horror movie. Yeah, but it's it's way gorier. There's there's some there's a lot of there's a lot of killing. In, there's in a this. lot of flying hands holding guns. That's the wolf's main move in that one. It's like you got a gun. I'm going to take your whole hand and then you get to see it fly <laughs> nice across the screen and you get wolf vision in which we get to see Albert Finney totally giving it right proper to a lady through wolf vision and really oh there's nothing better it's uh, amongst the several films of 1981 that are in a special genre I like to call Albert Finney is supposed to be American and um, <laughs> he's not very good at it but <laughs> the American part, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a weird movie. It, <laughs> super weird. I gotta see it. Uh, it. It you at least have to see it for the New York that it captures at the time because oh yeah, go- it, it, New York at its shittiest. It looks like London after the Blitz. Beautiful. Oh yeah, full. Yeah, they they talked at the time that they they had built this uh, ramshackle destroyed church, and it was the first thing that had been built in the Queens. In that area of Queens for like 25 years. It's like, yay, we built something. You built something that looks like everything else. And it's horrible. <laughs> and you built it so you could find dead bodies with, with heads with maggots coming out of them at one point. Wow. It's, and the wolves uh, imitate babies to lure <laughs> in their prey. Okay, I am sold. <laughs> <laughs> you also have to see Edward James almost his penis, though. So. Oh, yeah. You get a lot of uh, Wait, f- Edward James almost wang. In that. Full frontal EGO? Uh, yeah. it, it's it, like a, a glimpse. It's shot like in moonlight, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. Oh, it's it's very there. Uh, <laughs> you can't hide it. He's Starkers. You had no idea you were going to talk about Edward James almost as penis when you agreed to be on this, on this episode. I got to say, uh, <laughs> if you'd asked me ahead of time if I thought this would come up, I would I would have just given you a resounding no. <laughs> That's the kind of swings we take here at Kill by Kill. Wow, love it. Can we talk a little bit about Jack Nicholson's werewolf technique? At one point, he smells his wife's robe, catches the scent of something he doesn't like, and decides to uh, run through the streets. And I can only describe this in one way. He looks like Bluto when he's in stealth mode in Animal House. Yes, yes. His shoulders don't move. This, I think that was the moment when I was like, oh, wait, I am really into this movie. Because it, it's so strange. He's just like hunched. Yeah. And, and the great part about it is he's running, like, I think he lives on the Upper West Side, right? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so, and he's just running by like regular people who like live in the area, and he's just. And one thing that I have to point out that I love about this movie is that uh, this this has always been a thing with Jack Nicholson, where Jack Nicholson in every single role exudes this like extreme confidence, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's like he like even like in like terms of endearment where he's got like his belly just hanging out he still manages to be like a sex symbol in that like because of just like his vibe and his total confidence with everything about himself and i i love that he did not like he he's kind of schlubby in this movie 
He does not, despite the fact that he's going to be running around and leaping and bounding and, and and all of this stuff, he didn't, like, get in great shape. Yeah. Uh, and so he's just, like, mid-50s kind of schlubby Jack Nicholson in a not-flattering coat and khakis, just yeah. animalistically <laughs> just running around, like, on the sidewalks of the Upper West Side on the, the prowl. And, no, and I, nobody, so, look at, nobody looking at him, because, you know, New York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's just jogging or whatever. And uh, and it's such a strange image that that was the moment when I went from like this is interesting to oh I am on board with this movie and then he bounds up a stairs on all fours and bites James Spader's <laughs> hand and so I'm like the perfect like I'm 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 so in movie I will follow you anywhere I mean I love that at one point in this movie we watch him stalk a deer in corduroys yes <laughs> like no other movie sort of has this crazy mix of a guy who's just has a corporate job who happens to become a werewolf. It's you, as you said earlier, it would never be made today. And it probably wouldn't have been made many years past when it was actually made. It's a miracle. It happened when it did. Yeah. I mean, like my whole, like the reason I think it happened then is and uh, I feel like I, I apologize for constantly bringing up this video that I just made, but that's the reason I watched this movie, is that it fell during this time when Sony Pictures was basically trying to do, like, prestige reboots of the various Universal monsters. Yeah. And I believe this uh, screenplay had existed since, like, the 80s. And so I think they just wanted to make a werewolf movie because they you know, they didn't own the rights to the Wolfman, but they could still make a werewolf movie, and they had this, and yeah. Nicholson was interested, so they're like, great. We all we did we did Dracula, we did Frankenstein, we gotta do a werewolf now, so <laughs> how about this one? <laughs> yeah, I do wonder what their Invisible Man and Phantom of the Opera would have been. I if... mean, they did make Hollow Man. Uh, oh, yeah. but, but that was 2000. Because, like, sure. this all happened during the period of time when John Peters and Peter Goober were running Sony. Sure. And, uh, and I think they had both left by 95. Uh, and they so they greenlit all, like, this wave of, like, sort of, like, classy prestige horror movies. And uh, so Hollow Man got made under, like, a different regime. But, yeah, I wonder if they would have made something like that. Or if they would have, I mean, like, honestly, Hollow Man is probably too trashy. They probably, (laughs) you know, they probably would have been like, oh, my God, who who would have been an an appropriate director? Like, I don't know. Let's get, like, Sidney Pollack (laughs) to make an Invisible Man movie. Where Where he uses his abilities mostly to look at naked ladies. Yeah. Exactly. What was Wolfgang Peterson's, you know, hunchback of Notre Dame going to be? Exactly. And I I also think the thing that really closes it out is you have this sort of weird period where horror doesn't quite know what it wants to be here. Because the slasher boom has has drowned out. And you have some classier things happening. Certainly Candyman is right up in there where it goes super gothic. And you have that that Bram Stoker's Dracula where they're pouring money into it Mm -hmm. to make this grand affair. And it all just kind of happens in this little bubble. And then in December of 1996, 
when Scream comes out, everything changes. It's just mm-hmm. like it's a line in the sand. And nothing, it, the, the tone of the 90s for horror immediately becomes something like Scream. Right. And then it's wild because then three years later, you get The Sixth Sense. Yeah. And that actually gets like a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. Yeah. And it's, so it's just a weird period. It's just it, it's so odd. It's yeah, and, and and they would not try to, to I mean I may be forgetting one, but I don't think I am. They would not try another big budget werewolf movie until the two thousands with the werewolf, which was uh the one with uh Anthony Hopkins and Benicio Toro. Oh, which, the Wolfman, yeah. The Wolfman, yes. yeah. Which is Jesus. a lot like Mask of Zorro, but with werewolves. And that was right. just that was done without any sort of humor, very, very straightforward, very tragic. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's not, you know, for some reason, Hollywood loves vampires. You know, werewolves can fuck right off. <laughs> I think because it's hard to, the longer you look at it, the harder it is for your mind to go, you know, that's a wolf man. And CGI wolf people look terrible. Oh, they yeah. always do. Yeah, I mean, they look like they're trash. melting. They yeah. look think, like they're melting. I think part of the problem uh, with Hollywood and werewolves, especially doing like trying to do ones that are, I don't know, like I, I hate to say classier, but you know, ones that ones that that uh that, that aren't just because like I love just like ultra violent like schlocky trash, uh, mm-hmm. but ones that aren't that are 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 not trying to do that, but are trying to have like slightly higher aspirations. I think the tricky thing, at least for like the people making them is that unlike vampires werewolves don't talk and so for like the performer i feel like like the the feeling might be they don't have as much to do once the person becomes a werewolf because then it you know it it, it's largely effects and they are an animal and they're not as much of a character and so it kind of gets like while like vampires can be classy and romantic. I feel like werewolves kind of get lumped into just like, oh, it's a rampaging monster that just like runs around and eats things. It's a Godzilla, you know. It's just one of those things, like as long as you're not in its path, you're probably not in danger, whereas a vampire will fixate on a victim and, you know, know, toy with their soul and, you know, seduce them. There's no seduction when it comes to werewolves necessarily. You got two lanes. You either stick with the person becoming a werewolf or you stick with the person who's aware that werewolves might be possible and they're just trying not to be turned into one or eaten by one. You have uh, the howling or you have American werewolf in London. And those are your, those are your, your post 1980 lanes. Yeah. thinking now. So this movie gets a little bit into the mythology of werewolves. Yes, when we meet the doctor who lives in a, 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 an apartment straight out of seven for some reason. Yeah, with just a, a great red light bulb right at the entrance. Just just because, I don't know, maybe it's cold there. I, I don't know what it is, but he's gelled that light you know, it's, for funsies. It, it is interesting because this movie is shot very... And, like, for a movie that is ostensibly a horror movie, it's not shot like a horror movie. No. It's shot like just a big-budget Hollywood drama. Just, like, high-key lighting. Like, everyone is lit very, like, glossily and very nicely. And, uh, and th- th- you know, it, it nothing, it, like, none of the lighting or 
uh, is really exaggerated or anything like that. And uh, none of it plays into like what we think of as like horror movie lighting. And then suddenly you get to the scene and it's just full red. It's just like just Jack Nicholson just walks into this room and is just like drenched in red light. And it's just, and it does kind of and it, it's interesting because he has to walk through the red light. So it's kind of like it represents like the shift in the movie. Like we're OK, we're taking a step into new territory. Yeah, it's almost like there's a denial of supernatural up until that point. Like, right. Maybe this incident just shook him out of, as Gina said, that depression state that he was in. And now that he's sort of had this momentary flash of his own mortality, he's just going to, you know, fuck it. I'm going to pull myself together. I'm actually going to fight for this job. I'm going to fight for this. Until that moment when he walks into that room and that guy's like, so you're probably going to turn into a wolf next full moon. So plan on it. If you got a calendar, write it down. And also, if you could bite me on your way out, I'd really appreciate it. That's the part I love. Like, no, thanks. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Yeah, it really is. It's a very somber note to leave the scene on. Yeah. Like, I, I gave you this, like, I'm going to give you this thing that's going to help you not turn into werewolf. Great, thanks. Can I give you anything in, you know, for that? And it's like, oh, nothing monetarily, but, you know, bite my hand. Come on. Come on. Choo-choo. Right up on there. And he won't do it. He won't do it. I mean, honestly, of all the things that you're going to, you know, if you want to live in a mortal life again, why wouldn't you just become a vampire? Yeah. Well, this movie needs a spare vampire. Just one flitting through the background who just happens to. Well, I mean, it would be it would be it would be great if like, you know, you know, after the there was an after credit sequence where like Count Dracula shows up and starts getting the band back together. (laughs) Look, it's not too late to make this a part of the dark universe. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> you're like, right. But like 85-year-old Jack Nicholson showing up as a Exactly. Wolf. Look, hey, Spader's still going strong. And Pfeiffer. Hey, yeah. Michelle, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer looks magnificent. She, she, she was in, she was in the... Out. You go straight for Pfeiffer, and you just have what's-his-face from The Mummy. who Russell uh, Crowe. From, from Russell Crowe. Show up. <laughs> You know, in that in that castle, going, oh, you're a were- you're a wolf now. You thought you were the only one. You're not. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, cast some like some like hot movie star who's like thirty years old as her daughter, uh, who's now maybe inherited wolf genes. Yeah. So we can like keep this franchise going. Like, okay, my thing with the Dark Universe is, I think they should basically just. I uh, just say every single monster movie is canon. Just, just, uh, just to say, you know what? All of those, they were just all in this universe, and they all count now. Yeah, it, it, there's not, there's so, there's, they're barely connected within the framework of what they are. Right. So why worry about it? Just like show up and give me a new werewolf. Show up and give me a new Dracula. I, I'm all for it. It well, doesn't. Apparently, Ryan Gosling is going to be the Wolfman. Yeah. And yeah. Karen Kusama is going to do Dracula. I can't wait. <laughs> so, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm first in line for that one. So one thing I'm curious about is, in terms of the werewolf mythology of this movie, this is not like a monthly thing where it's like, oh, every month, full moon, he's going to be a wolf. This is just like every night, yeah. he's going to be a wolf. No, it just builds over time. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a water slide. Once you get on it, the only end is you becoming a full 
born wolf and stalking Vermont. Which means it's it's a little bit like closer to like the fly. It's more like a an ongoing transformation rather than just like a periodic thing that you have to worry about like every 30 days. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people compared it to at the time. Ebert brings up the fly in his review. Okay. Um where he and he doesn't really cast it in a in the best light of it not being the fly, but it's not every movie's fault they're not David fucking Cronenberg's The Fly because that's an amazing movie. It's just how you can't go up to the 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 bat and knock out the fly every day. So it's a bit unfair, but I see the comparison because he's just turning into this monster. There's a kind of plan that maybe you could get out of it, but not really. He's just, right. he, you get on the slide and at the end you're in wolf town, baby. I mean, I, I personally would have liked it to maybe go a little, a little bleak and have, you know, you could still end with her turning into a werewolf. But maybe him just getting killed, saving her. I think. I think. I don't. The, the weird sort of. And now we can go off and be wolves together. Is just that's just a, that's sort of like a weird happy ending to me. Yeah, they like each other, but an eternity being wolves together—that's a big commitment. They've they've slept together once. Like, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. <laughs> I mean, but that's also how Hollywood works. You know, yeah, people sure. people meet and then uh, that's it. Uh, it doesn't matter how long they've known each other. Just uh, immediately, they are good f- together for the rest of their lives. Um, I-, I would be remiss if we didn't bring up, and we touched on him just a little bit, but we really haven't talked about Christopher Plummer going full Captain Von Trapp here. Yes. As a disapproving father of a clearly adult daughter, <laughs> just having any relationship with the dude. He's like, nope, don't like it. Don't like him kind of don't like you don't want any part of it and he's just disapproving from moment one it's he's kind of fantastic just flitting about in this movie just i'm not i'm i'm here but i'm not i'm not in a werewolf movie it's like they didn't need i i, I mean i think this is the kind of thing that explains why it costs so much money because like this is a role that doesn't need christopher Plummer. yeah no there's, no there's not like th- like th- the purpose of this role is mostly it's like th- there's like the scene where he tells him that he's being demoted uh that he wants him to take care of like eastern european accounts <laughs> uh and then he just kind of pops up every now and again he has no like big scene no. but um but just like you know all, I'm not saying anyone could play it, but they could have gotten someone who was a hell of a lot cheaper, and I'm sure it would be fine. But having Plummer just elevates the whole thing. I mean, it's really worth it for the end where he looks at Michelle Pfeiffer and he almost like it's it's like that moment uh, in, in a teen comedy where they take the, the glasses off the nerdy girl. And he's like, <laughs> well, look at you. Well, when did you become so wolfy? You know, I could to- I could totally buy that that he had no idea he was in a, a werewolf movie. <laughs> that that he he you know, he he came in, he did his you know, he did his scenes, he went home, he went to the premiere. I was like, what? <laughs> I um, mean, as as we know from like the making of All the Money in the World, Christopher Plummer is a professional. Yes, doesn't matter how old he is, he is he will come in. Like at at a moment's notice, get the job done, deliver what you need. 
He's great. Every dollar of that paycheck is something he's going to earn. Um, and of course, the one thing, the thing that I really needed you here to talk about is the scene in which Michelle Pfeiffer feeds Jack Nicholson a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> at a kitchen with a candelabra on it with wax melted off of it like it's like they're eating in the phantom of the opera's lair it's incredible and there <laughs> the scene begins with a close-up of a jar of jiff <laughs> and i just i never thought i would see either of those people these huge movie stars chomp their way through a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and have it you can tell that's peanut butter because they're having trouble talking. Yes, I, I'm watching it right now as we're talking. I, I, again, there's no way of knowing, but I'm going to throw this out that this is an Elaine May edition. <laughs> uh, but like, I think it's actually some really nice, subtle character development because they establish that she's this person who has this like past history of like like drug abuse and 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 like like bad relationships like basically her her she does not have her life together yeah i uh, you know she's just i uh, her, her father is clearly disappointed with her and is like allowing her to to live in this like ornate guest house on the property uh and she's a person who's not good at taking care of herself and so when they're they're hanging out and talking, and so I think it makes perfect sense for her not to even have like a well stocked refrigerator. This is all she has, and she's like in her early to mid thirties. And uh, and at this point also, as like you know Nicholson is having these like changes in his life, and uh, and he's sort of I guess opening up to new experiences. And I, I think it's it's it and it's not like peanut butter and jelly is a new experience, but I, I think it does say something about him that he is like so happy to just like eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like yeah, there's sure. no trappings here. There there's no he doesn't have to fulfill a specific role. He's just reduced to having a basic sandwich with another person and trying in some way to connect to them and finding difficulty in that. There's a realness in that scene that's slightly undercut by a wax dripping <laughs> candelabra I, taking it, up the majority <laughs> of the frame. In a way, just that one frame uh, <laughs> kind of communicate tells you, it's like the whole movie in like in a single frame. You yeah. have like the sort of ornate gothic horror smashed alongside the 90s just like like modernity yeah with like jiff peanut butter it's just urbane this whole thing is urbane horror and i can't think of too many movies that touch on this specific vein of it a uh, couple other things right before i think we we wrap things up um uh, we talked briefly about uh, the do the doctor who gives Jack Nicholson uh, all the mystical. No He's a mystical uh, knowledge machine in the movie. Uh, and his character name is Dr. Alexeus. And all I could think of when they said it was the Simpsons parody of Stop the Planet of the Apes. I want to get off. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Alexeus, Alexeus, Alexeus. Um, uh, what? At one point, uh, Jack Nicholson uh, stalks Central Park and is accosted by uh, three thugs, toughs, street toughs. Um, 
And I just desperately wanted him to then run into Mrs. 45 and full nun regalia and Charles Bronson. If they could (laughs) all be in the same movie, that's an Avengers for me. (laughs) That scene where, you know, he does, he rips off a guy's fingers. Yeah. It keeps them around. Yeah. I, I feel like the moment when he discovers the fingers are in his pocket is pretty much like the goriest this gets. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most blood really you know he's got a bit of deer gore on his face but that this is the most violence in the movie is a couple of fingers in a hanky right it's a great like darkly comedic gag just discovering (laughs) that in like his suit pocket he just has a man's fingers (laughs) i laughed yeah, no, there's, oh my God, there's so many great little laugh lines in here. There's there's one where the two cops are talking about how there are now five dead bodies in Central Park. And one of the cops says to Richard Jenkins, what is it about a full moon? And Richard Jenkins replies, uh, more light. <laughs> I mean, is he wrong? No, he's not wrong. It's just, that's, I feel like that's too good of a lie. There are so many of those in this movie I you people really need to watch it for that stuff. Like there's a lot in here. It's a it's a there are lots of nuggets to grab onto. By the way, I just remembered that Richard Jenkins is also in the Witches of Eastwick. So this is like oh, yeah. a three way reunion. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they're they're getting the gang back together, baby. Yeah. <laughs> if only Cher could have played his wife. That would have been, that would have put it over the top. That would be wild. Oh my God. I mean, if we're saying that like Michelle Pfeiffer is kind of like overqualified for her role, Cher would be so overqualified oh, yeah, for yeah. that role. You mean like, that's all Cher gets to do? But Cher's like, you know what? I, you know, I had a couple months. I was in New York City, so I made it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's about it. But before we go, uh, we have a little tradition here. Uh, we like to play a game called Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that is where, of the deaths portrayed in this movie, if you were forced to die in one of those ways, which one would you choose for yourself and why? Up for bid, you could have your fingers bitten off and I think the rest of you eaten. I hate to cut you off, but I think they established that that guy did not die. Oh, did? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. There, there there, was like a scene where uh, the, the mother correctly says, you know, and... and regrettably it has not changed if this is a white boy that got his fingers bitten off the police would be all over this and you know what she's absolutely right and that would still be the case now yes not much has changed unfortunately yeah no i don't think he ever he i don't think he kills anybody he doesn't even kill jane spader well but the the mauling but there's two guys like the guy who gets his 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 fingers bitten off runs away and the two two other guys we don't see what happens to them no, I think I don't think he ever kills anyone because right. I think I think that's the whole point is that he you know he's not quite bad enough to actually kill anybody. Yeah, he's like defending himself. But um, whereas okay, Jay Spader just gleefully running people over, ripping out throats left and right, he's having listen, the time I'm not of his life. In court, he wouldn't get off on justifiable werewolfing. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> you get the right lawyer. I think you could make this fly. Um, so basically then it comes down to you either have your throat ripped out in Central Park like Jack Nicholson's wife. You get run over through a gate uh, like character actor Peter Garrity who shows up here for five seconds. You get your throat ripped out 
on the grounds basically with two throat rippings or you get shot in mid flying the burning like uh, James Spader. Um, so, Mr. Williams, as our guest, I turn to you for your answer first. Um, I am going to choose uh, getting shot mid-leap. Mm. Uh, because it seems like the quickest of all these deaths. That's really what it comes down to. It, it, well, okay, actually, t- there's two par- components to it. Sure. It is both the quickest and the awesomest. Mm. Uh, because having your throat ripped out seems deeply unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, like I don't even like thinking about that. Uh, that, that just seems awful. Um, getting run over. I feel like that guy probably took a few minutes to die afterwards. Yeah. That seems like a shitty way to go. Um, but, uh, Spader clearly dies pretty quickly. And I think what's important is that he gets shot while leaping, like, 15 feet in the air, wielding a pair of gardening shears over his head as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty cool way to go. Sure. Getting killed mid-leap. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. I'm not going to say it's it's wrong. Now, you will have to sort of change your signature attire from that sort of French sailor look. (laughs) t-shirt into gray sweatshirts which i feel like is not necessarily your your look are you going to be okay with that um there are worse outfits to die in mm-hmm. and i don't know if anyone else who gets killed is like look i mean i don't really want to be wearing the uniform for like the guy at the gate <laughs> so i don't know it's 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 a nice snappy green affair it's you know True, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I mean, if you're applying clothing to this, then I do I also get to be in wolf mode because that seems cool. Yes, but you won't be found in wolf mode because after you die face down in the pool, your your hands go back to normal. Uh, you know what? That's true, but I I'm sticking with this answer. All right, I'm not going to argue any further. Uh, it's locked and it's in. Do you know what say you? Gosh, I don't know. Um. Uh, what was the security? Does Tom was the guy who got his throat ripped out? Yes, I'm gonna say Tom. He looks like he went pretty fast. I, I had the same. I I agree. I usually tend to 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 quick to to take the quickest deaths. Mm-hmm. So that one seems like your 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 lights are going out pretty fast. Yeah, I think probably I'm gonna go out like Kate Nelligan. And here's my rationale: at least I will have gotten to finally sleep with James Spader. <laughs> And so I'll, I'll get that checked off of my list and then I can go not on camera, not in a flashy way. I'm Richard Jenkins tells you about it after the fact when you're all wet from the shower. Oh, yeah. He's like he's he looks like Ted Stryker in, in, on the, in, in an airplane during that speech. <laughs> it's like liquid just pouring down his face like the shower hasn't stopped. <laughs> he's he's <yeah>. still <laughs> as wet as he was in the shower. It's, crazy the amount of liquid he's transferred with him to this conversation they just must have thrown a bucket over top of him before they started rolling the camera every day i feel like that's part of nicholson's vibe he usually seems like a guy who's been sweating a lot yeah he, he usually comes off as very very damp yeah now even during a lakers game sometimes is like ooh, you don't need that many layers jack you're fine it's kind of hot down there on the floor with all those lights and everything, but no, he, he doesn't worry about it. 
That's why he's Jack Nicholson and I just sweat in my office. <laughs> so that pretty much uh, rounds everything out. Before we go, uh, Patrick, why don't you tell everyone where they can find and hear more about you and what you do? Okay. Uh, well, I feel like the the immediate obvious thing to point to, uh, because I've I've brought it up a bunch on this episode, uh, my latest video... Um, which is called The 90s Dark Universe, uh, which is the video that I watched Wolf for, which touches on a lot of the stuff that we've talked about in this episode. Um, check that out. It's over at my YouTube channel, uh, Patrick H. Willems, or youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Uh, no one else on YouTube has that name. It's easy to find. Lots of videos where I talk at length about movies. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the main thing to plug. Uh, check it out. Yes, I implore everyone to do it. I, I think you're fantastic at what you do. There's a certain cadre of people who are, are that you are in league with that I think have a an air of cinema positivity about what you talk about, and you're everything that's right about movie YouTube. Wow, thank you. Um, I honestly believe that, and I think you have contemporaries there, and Mikey, and you know. Uh, I won't name everyone because I'll leave somebody out. But I, I think there's a lot of good on movie YouTube, and I, I think you typify that. Well, thank you. I, I I try my best to do that. And Mikey, who you mentioned, is uh, is one of my favorites, and he's always killing it. Yes. All right, Gina, uh, where can people find you on these here internets? I write for The Spool. I, I uh, review television and movies. I have my own website, which I am restarting at GinaRadcliffe.com. And I am on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can find us on Twitter and our Facebook group. And we're on Instagram as well. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us be seen and heard by more people. We really appreciate it when you take time out of your life to do that for us uh and that just about does it i don't know what we're going to be doing next it's a great mystery who knows what it will be it will not be something as classy as this i'll tell you that absolutely not absolutely not straight garbage straight garbage however at this point we will have begun our expedition of hannibal the television series in our side podcast called dish by dish where we go through the uh, each episode of Hannibal one dish at a time uh, and so please check us out there on our Kill by Kill off weeks that just about does it for us so for myself for Gina, for the second Patrick on this podcast bye bye everybody bye yeah I mean well, I, well it's also, the, it's, sorry Patrick go ahead no, no, oh, the, 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 all I, that, that's pretty much all I was saying. Just I, I, I love everything Spader's doing. Because we're both Patrick. <laughs> that's true. <laughs>